Winning the downturn with the information is supported by Intel. Across any business, PC users look to IT heroes to save the day. With Intel vPro, IT gets the powers of security, performance, manageability, and stability on a validated PC solution. Intel vPro, built for business. Welcome to Winning the Downturn, a limited series covering how tech startups and small businesses are adapting to the new economic reality. This year, we've seen companies react to interest rate hikes and slowing consumer demand by laying off staff and pulling back on other spending. This environment has also forced healthy conversations about how businesses should focus and what kind of software they should be using to win during this downturn. My name is Amir Efradi, executive editor at The Information, a subscription technology news publication. And in each episode, I'll be talking with leaders in all kinds of industries, from retail and mobility to healthcare and finance, about how they've navigated prior economic storms and what they're doing to survive the current one. How's this for a challenge? Become the CEO of a global brand whose founder was just ousted in a coup and whose workforce was in turmoil amid repeated scandals. Dara Khosrowshahi has lived it. The former longtime investment banker and CEO of Expedia joined Uber in 2017 at the height of its ugly period. Most of its senior team had been forced out or quit under duress after revelations about its questionable HR and business practices. On top of all that, Khosrowshahi had to overcome intense skepticism about the prospects of the business itself. And after lots of layoffs, acquisitions, and pandemic-era strategy shifts, the company has been generating real cash. So I was thrilled to talk to him about how he operates, the work-from-home debate that he's waded into publicly, and making the toughest decisions quickly, even if you don't want to. Here's Dara. I studied engineering in college, and I quickly threw that away because I fell in love with a woman in New York City. She was a commodities trader. So I chased her to New York and the only job I could get at that time was investment banking. So what the heck? Uh, and I really enjoyed it. I worked at a company called Allen and Company, who I think you know well, for eight years, had a great time. I met Barry Diller there. He was one of my top clients. And I swore to myself that that is a person that I want to work for if I ever get the chance to work for him. Uh, and he was putting together a bit of a roll-up, kind of a commerce roll-up, uh, started with Home Shopping Network. It was renamed IAC, Interactive Corp. It was all about entertainment and commerce coming together, quite forward thinking. And I went on board. I joined Barry as his head of strategy and M&A corporate development. Uh, we went in very deeply into the travel space, invested in a lot of travel companies, uh, Expedia, Hotels.com, Hotwire. And that led to my first becoming CFO of IC, and then moving over to run Expedia about, I think it was like 18 years ago. So it must have been 2005, 2004, 2005. Moved to Seattle to be CEO. Did that for almost 13 years. And then Uber came calling and, uh, and the rest is history. I've been at Uber now a little over five years and it has been uh, uh, a great ride. Uh, not all easy. We had some bumps along the way, but it's been a really, really terrific ride for me. And we should note that when you joined, Uber did not have a CFO. Is that right? Uh, no, Uber was missing. There were 
quite a few key management positions uh, to fill, uh, but I got lucky enough to have uh, Nelson Che join me on the CFO front, Tony West from PepsiCo as chief legal officer, and then uh, Nikki Krishnamurthy also eventually joined. She came from Expedia as well. And then the team had some really terrific operating executives as well who have stayed with the company. They've been here, you know, nine, 10 plus years. So I think the new team is really a combination of new and old. And we've been together for a while now. Uh, and I think the business is on a good footing in a pretty, pretty uncertain environment, as we all know. Can you tell us a little bit about what you had to do to get to a point where you are actually generating cash from this business, which some people, not me, but some people argued <laughs> would never generate cash and still be able to grow how did you well, do that? it was uh, definitely not a straight line, as you know, and the, the world has changed so much between when I joined Uber and now. But I think, it, you know, in the end, it's about math. Like I, I talked to my team, you know, math always wins in the end. And the math for a company getting to cash flow break even is you have to grow your revenues faster than you're growing expenses. And, it, you know, it doesn't all need to happen overnight, but you have to be very, very clear eyed about having a plan to get there. We had always planned for getting to break even and cash flow positive this year, and we're running ahead of our own internal plans. I think obviously Rideshare has gone through its ups and downs, and we're fortunate enough to be in an up now as the world is opening up. Our position is stronger than it ever has been. Uber Eats has been a real pandemic winner. And so when I joined Eats, it was maybe one twentieth of the business or so. It was not a huge consideration in my mind in terms of joining. But our Ubi's business is as big as our rides business. We've also invested in freight, which is another big leg of growth for us. Uh, but then we also got out of some businesses. We really had to determine what to focus on and what not to focus on. And, and for example, we got out of our autonomous car development, driver development business as well. So it's been a combination of really strong execution on growth, but also the discipline required to get to cash flow break even and beyond. And we're in a good place now, but the, the job's not done. That was my favorite unit, the autonomous unit. Um, can, you, can you talk about those kind of clarifying moments in March in April of 2020, when the world changed very quickly, you were among the hardest hit businesses in the entire world, and you made some very painful and difficult decisions. But now that you've had a little bit of time to reflect, what did you do right? What did you do wrong um, in, the, in those moments? Yeah, I think um, I'm, I'm trying not to relive those moments. You just gave me uh, like I, I got a cold chill down my spine thinking about March. You know, it, it was an almost unimaginably tough time in that we lost between 80 and 85% of our mobility business. That was a big profit generator of, of the business at that point. We were using mobility to fund very significant investments on autonomous and delivery and freight, et cetera. And the biggest and most profitable part of the business basically disappeared overnight. And that put us in a tough spot. One, because anytime 80 to 85% of your volume disappears, you're in a really tough spot. But our starting point was a point where the company had already been losing money. You know, we were losing probably runway $2 billion. I had some CEO friends, obviously, you compare notes with. Usually they went from a profitable place to an unprofitable place. We went from an unprofitable place to a deeply unprofitable place. And I think for us, the first step is to think about your liquidity and how much time you have to get the company on a proper footing. 
we had always been pretty aggressive about raising capital, not only before my time at Uber, but also in the IPO. Nelson, our CFO, has been through the great financial crisis. I've been through the great financial crisis. So, you know, it, it's the time to raise money is when you don't need it. And in hindsight, our raising a bunch of money in the IPO, um, it turned out we needed that money. So the first thing you've got to do is understand your liquidity, how much path do you, how much time do you have? And then you can start acting. For us, we had some luxury of time, but we had to make some decisions very, very quickly. And we knew that we had to, at that point, really decide to double down on our core. Um, so you got to like define your core. And for us, ultimately, there were many businesses that we're in with different promise, different growth rates, et cetera. But, you know, we decided that our core is building a software layer on top of the real world to power real world movement, whether that's movement of people or whether that's movement of food and things or it's trucks or it's big fulfillment loads, et cetera. And we decide let's double down on that core and anything that's non-core, you know, manufacturing bikes and scooters or going out and building robot cars or our Elevate business that was building VTOLs. These were all really good ideas. And so those businesses now we, you know, consolidated with other businesses. You see that pattern, which is consolidation happens in difficult markets. And we merged our bike and scooter business with Lime, the leader in that industry. We merged our autonomous business with Aurora, with Chris Ermson, who's CEO and was one of the original team at Waymo as well. We merged our Elevate business to Joby Aviation, another leader. So it's not that these businesses are bad businesses, they're great businesses, but they didn't fit into the definition of our core. We then also right-sized the business as well. We had pretty significant layoffs, about 20 to 25% of our employees. We moved very quickly to do so. I think during normal times, it makes sense as a CEO and a leader to allow your team essentially to lead and you're there to support them. You're there for some important decisions. But during the tough times, you actually have to be top-down. As CEO, you've got to drive timing, you've got to drive process, you've got to drive decisions. Otherwise, they happen too slowly. They happen normal course, and we didn't have time for a normal course. So we made these really difficult decisions. And fortunately, where we are now is as we came out of the pandemic, I think that the focus actually allowed the company to execute more effectively. We're gaining share in our core rideshare business. We are gaining share in the delivery business and the freight business just because we're doing less. We're super, super focused on our core. And then the cost discipline as well. You know, we grew up in the land of plenty as it relates to Uber, but now there's a tougher minded cost discipline that has served us well coming out of the pandemic. But I believe in this environment is also going to serve us as well. A reminder that today's episode is supported by Intel. Across any business, PC users look to IT heroes to save the day. With Intel vPro, IT gets the powers of security, performance, manageability, and stability on a validated PC solution. Intel vPro, built for business. No product or component can be absolutely secure. Your costs and results may vary. Did you have any moments of doubt during this whole process? I have moments, I, I, I still have moments of doubt. You, you know, I, I think if you don't have moments of doubt, then you're not questioning yourself enough. Like, I love it when I'm called on, you know, in employee all hands, et cetera. Like, 
you, if you're not doubting yourself, you're not self-examining, it doesn't mean that you should be uncertain. It doesn't mean that you should hesitate to make decisions. But, you know, we're not like running treasury bonds here. Like we get paid to make decisions in uncertain environments. And I think it's absolutely my job to have moments of doubt. But I do think you can't let those moments of doubt get in the way of making decisions quickly. And as human beings, I think, you know, we are programmed to make unpleasant decisions slowly. And we're programmed to essentially, you know, try to create as much optionality for ourselves before we make that hard decision. And I think it's a job of the leader to make decisions faster than you feel comfortable making decisions. Because especially if they're unpleasant decisions and you're waiting until you're comfortable, you've waited too long. So we move very quickly in the downturn. And even in this environment where our business, frankly, is doing quite well, we got to cash flow positive, et cetera. We also communicated to our team that the environment has changed and we want to be ahead of the game versus behind the game. And if you wait to get comfortable, especially with tough decisions, you're making your decisions too, too late. You're moving way too slow. What gave you the confidence in your ability to continue to grow the core ride-hailing business, given that it is a luxury good in many cases? You, you knew that it's an expensive product, but a very useful one that changed cities deeply in all kinds of ways. How did you have confidence that that was going to continue to grow in, in the way that it has? Well, I think that one is Uber's a verb. So I, I, I never doubted that our rideshare business and mobility business wouldn't come back when cities reopened. So I think the, the question is, would cities reopen? Would life return? Would people get out of their houses again? And I think the answer there was unquestionably yes. We didn't know when. And we had the luxury or the foresight of having invested in the eats business. So we really focused on the delivery business, building out the infrastructure there the business exploded as we waited for mobility to come back. But there was never a doubt as it related to, to mobility coming back. Our engineering team continued to invest in mobility. There were even segments of mobility. We have a high capacity vehicle business that we've been investing in for the past five years. That would have been very, very easy to cut. But really what you've got to do is make that decision what's core and not core. And the decision to disinvest in the non-core parts of the business has allowed us to double down on the core. And I think that goes to one of the dangers. There's this um, temptation to peanut butter everything. Hey, let's, if we're going to cut 10%, cut 10% across the board or 20% across the board, that's a cop-out. Your job as senior management for the company is to allocate capital in a choiceful way and do it quickly. If you're peanut buttering your cuts, you're probably making the wrong decision. Our avoiding peanut buttering allowed us to double down on the core. And I think in hindsight, as we're coming out of the pandemic, it's serving us really, really well. Getting to your, your employee base, you, you recently put out a blog post about how you're going to approach hybrid work. People are very religious on this topic. As you know, you've arrived at a two-day-a-week mandatory requirement on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Can you talk about that decision and what is going to happen in the wake of that decision and why you made it? So I, I think, again, anyone who is too certain in terms of their decisions, you talked about like doubting, you know, that's a decision that I that I might get wrong. I'm not absolutist as it relates to, to work. What we are absolutist about at Uber is that 
the tech that we're building and the product that we're building is really complicated. You know, we're building the software layer on top of the real world. The minute you make that jump from bytes to atoms or bits to atoms, so to speak, the product that you're building becomes much more complex and much more difficult. So we absolutely believe we need a very collaborative environment for engineers to come together with ops folks and data science folks, et cetera, to build the products that on the surface seem delightfully easy, you know, push a button and get a car, but underneath the surface are actually quite complex and need to be quite complex in order to also be profitable, right? Affordable, but profitable for us as well. So that ultimately led us to conclude that hybrid is the right answer. There are certain days when I'm like doing emails or a bunch of one-on-ones. I don't need to be in the office during those days. I can just jam out my emails at home. It's all good. I have my setup there. But there are days when we're getting together. We have monthly technology reviews, monthly business reviews. Big teams are getting together, talking about what's, what's happening. And the discussions are so much more rich. They're so much more varied with not you know necessarily everyone in the room, but call it 70 or 80% of the participants in the room. You have a lot of side talk. You can have sidebars outside of the meeting. You get so much more done in so little time. And you build relationships. For me, coming back to the office and seeing my teammates, it's a jolt of energy. I, I do like working at home, but having both, being able to work at home some days, coming to the office some days, I believe makes both better. My team agrees with me, fortunately. Uh, and so we've gone for this hybrid environment. The reason why we said we want Tuesdays and Thursdays is so that you get the magic of collaboration, of everybody being in the office, working together. And then the other days, can, you can decide. You can come to the office if you want to come to the office, or you can stay home and work from home as well. We do think this hybrid environment or hybrid choice is a better choice. Uh, but, you know, let's see. Getting to something that you've dealt with in the last couple of weeks, uh, which is very much on my mind and our collective mind, security. So you were part of a, of a trial involving a, a former executive who's on trial for alleged cover-up of security issues at Uber before your time. And at the same time that you were at that trial, your company was under active attack. This is something that comes up so, so often in every business. Doesn't matter what kind of business it is. Every conversation that I have these days with people who are running businesses, they will bring up the time that they were hacked, the time that they dealt with ransomware in a local office. It just comes up again and again, and it's hidden. It's not something that is talked about much. Can you walk us through what you've learned and you know, any advice that you have to share, given everything you've learned? I think the first thing I would say is we're still learning, obviously. We're, we're looking at everything that happened. We constantly do postmortems to understand situations and how we can get better there. I think for me, the biggest learning is that security is everybody's job. You can't view security as being, you know, essentially a function of your eng security team or your IT security team, because then the security layers are going to be very thin. You know, it's like an egg. You, you might have a hard shell, but once you get through that shell, anyone can do anything. And that is not proper security. So I think for security, there are so many layers of security. There are so many things that can go wrong that in a situation where something does go wrong, someone does something that they shouldn't or an employee, you know, lets a multi-factor authentication through, you want to have a system design where you have backups, et cetera. The only way that that's possible is if everyone is engaged in security. 
from the NSEC people, but it goes to how you build your corporate environment, how you build your production environment. And I think in this case, we were fortunate enough in terms of some of our designs and how things turned out that best we can tell the data of our customers, et cetera, safe. But it is a team sport security and you can't outsource it to parts of your team. Everyone has to understand it, understand the implications in order for you to be truly effective. All right, Darth, thank you for your time and good luck continuing to weather the storm out there. Thank you very much. We're weathering pretty well right now and hopefully it'll continue. Thanks for listening to Winning the Downturn, brought to you by The Information and supported by Intel. Stay tuned for a Spotlight segment with Kate Porter, an Intel Senior Director. When it comes to cybersecurity, we're constantly hearing about businesses that are that are being hacked. And in the survey that we did related to SMBs, it was very clear that most people think that SMBs, including people who run them, are completely underestimating the importance of security and the importance of upgrading their software and so on. How does Vpro relate to that issue? Unfortunately, small businesses may be under the false impression that antivirus software is enough. And we are increasingly exposed to the understanding that that's not the case. So an end-to-end multi-layer type of protection is always a better step forward. And that can sound intimidating. I'll be the first to admit, right? Multi-layer end-to-end, oh my goodness, you know, what does that mean? But for small businesses, there are very specific steps you can take to um, furthering that end-to-end coverage. When we say end-to-end, it really starts with hardware. That hardware base allows you to have the confidence that certain environments like the boot-up experience, your memory, those things are covered with additional layers of protection that Intel has invested in. And then it moves up to the operating system and the software layers and how the operating system and the software allow themselves to interact with that hardware. Again, Intel as an open ecosystem vendor, we work with some of the leaders in these spaces to ensure that they can use our CPU counters to uniquely detect advanced types of threats, threats like ransomware, threats like supply chain attacks. And so these software vendors, when you have them in their environment, when they're running on an Intel vPro PC, they can uniquely detect some of these fingerprints because of the collaborations we've been able to drive in the industry. I think a lot of this even goes beyond the hardware. It's, it's back to the basics of keeping your system up to date. We've talked a couple times about the benefit of Intel vPro PCs. You can keep that up system up to date through the remote device management capabilities that you have with that device and through the use of that industry-leading open software. Winning the Downturn is produced by Studio Pod Media. Our producer is Sterling Shore. Our show coordinator is Nicole Genova. And our executive producer is TJ Bonaventura. Special thanks to John Brierley and Julie Kerner from The Information. My name is Amir Efrati. See you next time.